0: This is the Colored Pencil Podcast, session number 188. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a Colored Pencil Podcast, where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your host... Clow and John Middick. Hello, my name is John Middick of sharpenedartist.com, and I'm joined as usual by my co host, Lisa of Lockery Fine Art. Lisa, how are you?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: I'm trying to keep warm. It's uh, been like negative five, zero, and then the wind chill is like. You know, negative one hundred, depending on where you are. You know. And
1: I thought the fifty-two Ridiculous. degree here 52. in Texas was cold.
0: Today. Oh, I gotta slap you! <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, it's short sleeve weather. So, yeah, what I've been are, walking around
1: in flip flops.
0: Oh, that's not—that's just not right. <laughs> what are we talking about today?
1: We are talking about art shows. Getting ready for art shows. Getting what do you need to bring? How do you find the right show for your work?
0: This has been a constant question uh, that I get a lot and is sent to us. And if you have any suggestions for the show, questions, comments, you can email us at podcast at com. That's the email address. This is one that comes up quite often, though. Someone's interested in, you know, maybe they've created now for the first time, perhaps, a body of work, and they want to show that, and they're not sure which direction to go in. You know, it seems like maybe this is a good idea to enter into some of these art shows that they see advertised. So we've got some tips today, and we're going to discuss uh, some case scenarios and things to watch out for and, and why it would be a good decision and why it may not be as well.
1: Yeah, and you've really got to think the most important thing, and this is going to kind of be today's theme, is target your target market, your target audience. That is what everything boils down to. When you're trying to make a sale, you've got to hit the right people And the right place. So you've got to consider what type of show is best. Is going to an art and craft show going to be a good fit for you? Is going to a show that's located down at the beach somewhere in a high, maybe a higher income neighborhood going to be a better choice, even though you're having to pay more for your booth, or going to a show that may be free or not charge you a whole lot for your booth, but kind of out in the middle of nowhere where there may not be as much traffic or the people may not be willing to spend as much? You know, you've got a lot of things that you need to consider. So setting up for an art show. It is a lot of work. That's, I think, a really big deal. For me, that was one of the things that got me to stop doing them for a long time. I didn't feel like I was getting enough return for the amount of work. I mean, I may sit there all day long at some of these shows that I did. I might make a 100 bucks. That's not worth the work and no. dragging everything out and all it is just not even if I didn't have to pay for my booth it just wasn't enough. Now there were shows that I did like Catalina Island in California. Those shows did a bit better, but I had a lot of expenses. I had to have the expenses to take the ferry along with all of my artwork over and that was the only way to get everything there. I had the expense of needing to stay in a hotel during prime out, you know, season. Everything was super expensive during the the time that they'd have these shows. So I had the cost of the hotel. I had the cost of the travel. I had the tr- just dragging everything out there. Now, luckily, this was in Southern California. You were pretty much n- guaranteed not to have rain. At worst, you'd have wind. So th- that was a bonus for those shows. But I still just made enough in most cases to break even. To cover my expenses. Now, it was worth it to me. I did, a, I want to say two or three years in a row just because it was a fun event, maybe two years. I don't remember now. That was, you know, 20 years ago, but it was a lot of fun. So that was kind of worth it to me. You were right on the boardwalk, right on the water. I just liked being a part of it. So even breaking even, it, I looked at it as a sort of a hard work vacation. But breaking even somewhere where it wasn't as nice of a venue, wasn't as fun, my artwork's at risk of being damaged from weather or whatever else, you know, you've, you've really got to take all of this into consideration as to whether or not it's going to be worth it for you. And then we get into the target market, your target audience. Are you creating work that people in that area are going to be interested in? At people, are people at that show going to be interested in the type of work you create? That's such a big deal on whether or not you're going to get the sales. Your price point is going to vary from one show to the next as far as what people are willing to pay for at that point. Now, and we'll get into this. There are things that you can do to make money on prints and, and postcards and such. So... Um, There are ways around that if your work does tend to be more expensive and still make an income, but you've got to consider, there's just so much to consider as to whether or not this is going to be worth it to you. For me, one of the biggest ones, is it an indoor or outdoor show? Because we have locally here in Texas, there's um, the city of Frisco puts on a show in, and I don't know if they're still doing it. They had the first annual one maybe four or five years ago. And it was during our rainy season. And if it rains, you still have to be there. Your artwork is now at risk. Good luck trying to keep that dry in one of our Texas, if you're from this area or anywhere in the South, you know how bad our thunderstorms get, the wind, the rain, the everything. And yeah, you would have to have your tent that you can put everything in. But is that really still going to keep it safe? Those tents are trying to blow away. I mean, it just seemed like a disaster, and they wanted something I think it was five fifty to start like the lowest cost booth. I mean, five hundred and fifty dollars. and I'm putting all my artwork at risk. It's probably going to rain because it's Texas and it's spring. I mean, there was just so many things that seemed like a bad idea to me for for that show.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I want to back up for just a second and say a couple of things that you hit on there before we get too far into this. And that is deciding up front whether or not you're going to be an artist who enters shows or not. Um, there, I mean, that's a question that you have to ask yourself. If you're making that decision and deciding that you're going to be someone who does enter shows and you go and set up a booth or whatever – Are you going to be that artist or not? That's a decision that you make. Some artists make the decision not to ever, ever do that. Some decide they're going to be in galleries. Some decide not ever, ever to be in galleries. Uh, So you have to make that decision for yourself in your business, in your art business. Some believe that, oh, well, you know, and I'm going to talk about two different extremes here before we move along here, but there there are two extremes. Some people believe, some in the art world, some that even aren't, believe that if you're someone who is part of art shows and you go and you travel around, especially, and you're setting up your art and you're displaying it and showing it and that's how you're marketing your art and selling it, that you'll always be in this, very much lower art market. And then there's others who believe that if they don't do that, if they, uh, or there may be a trial period where they're in that, this traveling around and displaying their artwork at art shows that somehow maybe that will help them and will bridge this gap to another market that they'll get into later where maybe they're going to show in a gallery or host solo shows or group shows or, you know, shows like that. But there, there are two different extremes. I've known artists who that's all they do is they travel around and they live in a travel trailer painting on the road. They're doing plein air stuff and they're only hitting shows. And that's how they, that's how they live. They don't really have a home. And they're just traveling around, and that's what they're doing.
1: I will say the Um, people I've known of who did that, though, loved the life. I think that's important. You've got to love it. Some love
0: love it, it and then some get burnt out. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I would probably get burnt out. Yeah, I think I I would, too. Yeah. Uh, Now, I did know a watercolorist uh, who claimed that he was making – You know, a a really, really nice uh, salary. But he had no sort of social life because he was always on the road. I mean, he's like a truck driver if you want to, you know, really stop and really think about, you know, the quality of. You know, your relationships with anybody else, they're not there. I mean, you better not have children or a spouse, I guess, you know, unless the spouse is going with you and the children are homeschooled with you, you know, that kind of thing. So you have to make those decisions and concessions, if you will, uh, on what you're going to tolerate or what you're going to do. And if that's a lifestyle that you want, for some, yeah, you're right. That's like a dream. You know, let's do that. Let's, yeah, it was mostly people who had
1: retired and then they kind of took this up as a second thing. They're the ones that I knew that loved it.
0: Ask yourself these questions up front. You know, you don't just go with any show at all, and you you don't just go sight unseen. If a show sounds appealing in the brochure, but you've never attended the show, or you don't know a whole lot about it, but especially if you've not ever been to the show, and you don't know a whole lot about the layout and what's there, the type of art that will be displayed, and are there crafts there, that sort of thing, that that might make a big difference on whether or not your target market is there. There's a reason why all the car dealerships are around every other car dealership. All the restaurants are around the other restaurants. Target and Walmart are next to each other. Uh, The coffee shops are next to each other. Why, Why is that? Well, it's because the people that go to those places are going to Uh, frequent those businesses in those locations it makes sense in every any other arena when we're talking about you know selling art then you've got to go where your target market is as well you don't you know you don't just go and find out oh this is a craft show and they also sell fiber art and uh, they've got a lot of glass blowing I think I'll set up a you know a painting booth there that just wouldn't work if you're the only one there. Most of the time, that doesn't work well. And, and a lot of times, you'll hear a newer artist say, Oh, well, that's perfect because I'll be the only one, I'll get all the business.
1: The problem you is that people at those shows business. aren't planning to spend more than 20 to 40 dollars at a craft yeah. type show, and so they're not
0: even expecting you to be there. And, they're, well, they're and even if they do, if they any, find the things that craft. you like,
1: are they going to be willing to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars? Right. That's not where you they were expecting to go to see something that, that's more high-end like that. And that's where yeah, the, the exactly. problem really runs into is that – and that's the problem I Those ran into with times. most art shows in general. For the most part, the ones that I did, people weren't going to spend more – I'd go – I'd say up to $100 I would have people pay for a small painting. That was the max. And that was in Catalina Island. Now, this was 20 years ago. So, you know, inflation would be more now. But still, people just weren't as willing to spend the money. On something they just saw when they were just going to go walk around and look at what's cool. And there are you know, exceptions yeah. to that. There's a show, why can't I think, uh, the Sawdust Festival. That's known, like down at Laguna Beach, that is known to have people spend thousands on a painting, just drop it. But it's a very rich community.
0: Well, so, same way with Summer Fair in Cincinnati. I mean, people will people spend thousands of dollars at that yeah. show. but are you're you going to cover your yeah that's too. what I was going to say you're going to cover your 500 or 800 dollars whatever it is now on your booth fees you know to even get in there and then have you gone to the show? Do you know if, uh, you know, if you're drawing, if your drawing medium is going to be only, you know, one of three or something like that? When you look around and it's mostly oil painting, you know, there, there's probably hundreds of vendors that are set up there as oil painters. Um, and and that's just the way it is. So, I mean, you're going to have a better shot if you're an oil painter going into that show. So you, you have to See, look at those things. They're I think on the flip side,
1: though... Even if it's a show with a lot of oil painters, you are also being lost in the crowd of a bunch of other oil painters. You are, right. So let's talk about what I'm setting up for. So I, th- this is what actually started this whole discussion. But when I started with uh, or doing the art shows, I did get very burnt out because you're really not making a lot. I found that I could make more money teaching, and I got to stay in a nice air-conditioned classroom, and I actually really enjoyed it. Set your own down. schedule. Yeah, I mean, things, it was yeah. just – I could make more consistent money with a lot less work doing something that I actually would rather spend the time teaching than sitting in a booth waiting for someone to show up. And that's just personal preference. I'm not saying that's going to be the same for everybody. But I really moved away from doing a lot of the art shows. And you do. You get mixed in. And even though I was doing a lot of marine life and I was in Southern California at the time, so marine life was very popular, I was lost in the crowd of a lot of other artists doing very similar things. So... I stopped doing it altogether and I had the opportunity, I contacted another YouTuber who has, actually, let me back this story up a little bit more. It's story time with Lisa. But a few months, I used to keep saltwater reef tanks or a saltwater reef tank back when I was in California. I got rid of it before I moved to Texas. Well, I recently just got a nano reef, which is a very small 13 and a half gallon saltwater tank. And so I started watching all the videos, refreshing, um, learning everything again. And I came across a YouTuber who makes really entertaining, does a lot of skits, videos are great, but also a lot of tips on reef keeping in general. And so I contacted him about doing a possible YouTube collaboration. So um, he ended up contacting me back. He's, he's putting on a show here in Dallas. It's this huge, both saltwater, freshwater, animals like birds and stuff, this huge event where you've got vendors, you can go and buy fish and corals and whatever else. No, this isn't an advertisement. There's, a, I'm going somewhere with this. But <laughs> um, it's a huge, huge show, mainly for people. The people who are going to be at this show are people who enjoy reef keeping or fish keeping or that sort of thing. He's also got a handful of artists who are selling their work at these shows. But for the most part, the majority of of the people are going there to see the the livestock or to buy corals and and fish and such. So he offered me, he said, you know, if you'll paint, he really liked the lion painting I just did with coral and and fish swimming around him. He wanted something similar done with their logo that they could use for the show plus one for his dorm room. Mm -hmm. Oh, how cool. So, yeah, it's really neat. And he said he would trade me that artwork for a booth and I don't have to pay for the booth. Awesome. Uh, deal. So here's the thing. Why did I choose this one? One, it's indoors. I don't have to worry about the safety of my artwork as far as weather goes. Two, well, it's local. I don't have to travel. I don't have expenses of a hotel. That's definitely something to keep in mind when you're looking at art shows. What what, what expenses are there? Three, and this is the biggest thing. Here is my exact target market for my marine life. These are people who keep reef tanks. Now, reef tanks are quite expensive. If you're unaware, I've got a tiny, tiny one, but the big ones, the people who who are really into this, those get expensive. These are people who are willing to spend money on it in something that they love. And so here's my target. That is a Big deal on, I mean, it's perfect. It's the perfect environment. Yeah, I've got other artists there, but my work is very different from the other artists there. I'm definitely going to stand out in that. So, I mean, all around, what a great opportunity. So, you know, you can come up with something like this. So, even me, I don't like art shows. I'm excited, like crazy excited about this one. So, it's a perfect, you know, you've got to find that target market. Who's going to buy my dolphin paintings, my fish paintings? these people, these are my exact people. This is who I want. So yeah, that, you know, you've got to figure out where do you go to find your target. So let's say your target are bird, you do a lot of bird life. Can you find a show or an event that, that focuses around birds like this one does with fish? This is where you're going to hit. You'll get so many more sales on that than you will at most art shows, like actual art shows.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's a really strong point, uh, and one that I've kind of wanted to drive home here. And that is, you know, it, maybe you're somebody who draws old cars. You paint maybe, you know, old vintage cars. So go to car shows, and maybe you could set up there or talk to some of the uh, i don't know what they're called Uh, the people that show these old cars but talk to some of them you know that are there all the time um and show them some of your work if the conversation lends itself don't go over there and be annoying and have a business card that says i want to paint your old car you know that kind of thing but you you develop relationships is what i'm driving at and and just like you're doing, Lisa, and I, I, I want to hear back. I want you to report back and let us know how that goes, as far as sales go and relationships yeah, that, uh, that you've built. But I mean, that's that's what you're after. You want to go if you're somebody who is painting horses, drawing horses, uh, then you go after that market. You get. I'm not talking about other artists who are painting. Horses. I'm talking about you go after equestrian people, people that are actually, uh, you know, actually have horses, uh, show horses or ride horses. This is going to break down really quick because I don't know a whole lot about that. But I mean, I think that's important. You know, that's what you do, though. You go to where those people are who enjoy that subject matter that you are interested in creating art, that art subject that's your people
1: I love how you said and I don't know a lot about that it's going to break down and I think that's the next key
0: right
1: what are you personally interested in are you into horses do you know a lot about horses these are the people you want to go to we'll use dog shows as an example I know dogs. I used to show my dogs. I understand breed standard and what somebody who, let's say I, I set up a booth at an AKC show, which I never did. I was going to, I, that was originally one of my goals and then I got away from doing a lot of pet portraits. But let's say you're a pet portrait artist. If you go to an AKC show, you need to know the breed standard for all of these breeds because let's say you paint, call. you want to paint a collie. You find a reference photo that's a collie that has a horrible, like a dish nose, a nose that you just, or a Roman nose, or a type of nose that is not stand good for the breed. If you do not know a a lot about dogs you're not going to catch that that's wrong and then the people who show dogs are going to look at that and go they're going to know that 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 is not what that dog's supposed to look like if you can find subjects that you're interested in that you actually know a fair amount about it's going to make it easier for you i think to do work the quality that those buyers are looking for
0: yeah and by that same token i mean it would be silly for john middick to go to a dog show and then say you know hey did you want me to draw a portrait of you? Um, yeah, exactly. That kind exactly. of thing, because that, that's what I do. I, I'm not going to be drawing dogs. In fact, you know, a, a lot of people say they claim that I don't like dogs. It's not true. I do like dogs. I just like cats better. But oh, uh,
1: Why are we friends?
0: <laughs> but here's the thing. I do like dogs. And, uh, you know, there are some dogs that I like better than others. There's some I tolerate. But there's not – it's, it, it would be silly for me to go up to some person that has a dog and, say, you know, some big dog and say, uh, I'd like to draw this dog. And if I'm I'm not this way, but if I had a phobia about a dog or if I had, you know, some type of disdain for this dog breed or something, it would be silly for me to do that. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I'm talking about something and it's so ridiculous. And you're like, yeah, thank you, Captain Obvious is the reason I'm doing this is because artists do this all the time they're all, they're constantly going into uh you know forums that they're uh, t- and they're talking about their art and they want to sell their art and i want to sell sell my art here's what i'm doing only people in there are artists it it makes no sense yeah. to stop doing have that to get stop
1: over the idea and this was one i had a hard time with when i was younger i didn't understand my attitude was my artwork's great everyone's gonna love it no They're not.
0: I need to find the people
1: who want what I'm creating. Stop trying to target every person on the earth. If you try to target everybody, you miss the people who really are going to be interested in what you've got.
0: And and that's really a good thing. Not everyone's going to like your art, and that's good because you want to resonate with your ideal client. The target market is somebody who loves your art, and that by definition then means – that someone else on the opposite end is going to be repelled. Here's by kind your of an art. extreme, yeah,
1: exactly. Here's kind of an extreme example. There's an artist I know who is a furry. If you don't know what a furry is, they're, they're I'm gonna screw this up. So, if any of you are listeners who are furries, please a person I'm not with a lot of hair,
0: you. right? But I no, they
1: wear um, and like animal suits or you took costumes. It they they kind of look like what I remember seeing as like high school mascots, but more <laughs> elaborate, like more really. Um, they're actually pretty cool looking. But somebody who is interested in doing furry art, like there's a whole like community with this. But there's another side like the out people Pretty on sure the outside who don't know what <laughs> the people on the outside who don't know what furries are, are kind of weird why are adults dressing up in these costumes and walking around like this.
0: Right.
1: They're kind of weirded out by it. You don't want to take your furry art to somewhere where people who are not specifically interested in that because right. it does right. you know it's a very kind of polarizing the people who like it or dislike it. It's kind of an interesting thing but you know finding that target. Yeah. So,
0: Taking your Star Trek artwork to, you know, a Star Wars show or something like that. There you go. Know, same kind of thing, you
1: know. <laughs> so next, we have business cards. And business cards, postcards, postcard racks, what do you want to bring with you to the show? And this comes back down to, again, your target audience. So, for example, I'll keep going back to using me as an example. The car- business cards that I – stand, my standard business cards look nice. They're great for every day. You know, they've got a, a – Picture of an owl that I drew. It's got the information. My I just can include my website, YouTube, email, phone number, and that's pushing it. I would normally say don't include more than three places for people to locate you. Don't try to put every social media. uh, Don't put too much information. They can go to my website and get my social media. You know, you put too much, and they don't. You know, you want your main call to action. What is the main thing you want someone to do from your website? I want people to go to my website. That is what I do first. Or your business card. Sorry, I'm mixing up words here. Good luck following. Um, But you, I, my website's my most important. That is first. YouTube is next important to me. Email and phone number are how you can contact me. So that's on there. But normally I would say, try to get your three main call to actions on your card and make that font big. Don't try to put your life story on your business card. Don't try to put, I do wildlife and realism and this, and I do this and all the different medium. No, they can go to my website and find that information.
0: Yeah, or just one call to action. One yeah, is not bad. and that's even better. I would um, say that's even one better. One is better than five. Yes. <laughs> let me tell you right now. The, so the fewer, So you're just the confused better. people. Yes. Now, you, this you business did.
1: card, here's the thing. I went to, there's two times this card has not served me well. I did the NAMTA show, which is a, a national arts trade show where it's the manufacturers, like Faber-Castell's there, Karen Dosh, Fa- Fredericks, you know, all of these art manufacturers, Derwent. I was demonstrating for Derwent. When I was walking around and talking to the manufacturer, about potentially having them give me supplies to demonstrate their products on my YouTube channel. Until I told them how many subscribers I had, they kind of wrote me off. As soon as they heard my numbers, they're like, oh, we want you know, that's great. We want to get our, our, yeah. our product in front of that many people. My bu- It would have been so much better if my business card said how many subscribers I had on it. Now, for everyday use, everyday, you know, handing my card out to somebody I was chatting with about art, that's not going to impress them. That's Information that yeah, doesn't, well, it's taking up real estate that shouldn't be there on the card. But for that show, it would have been perfect.
0: But it brings up a great point. I'm glad you said that. And that is you can have more than one card. Yes, you know, You and can have more I'm than one on. business card and you tailor it for whatever the situation is. Same way with your resume. Whenever you're working a, a job and you're wanting to switch jobs, you have more than one resume because you've done more than one thing in life. Uh, mo- most people have. And so, yeah, I mean, it's the same kind of concept.
1: Yeah, for this aqua, the aquashella, the fish show. Um, that one, I'm making new business cards and actually two business cards for that one. One with a clownfish and another, another one with a painting that is really big, really elaborate. It's going to have that business card. And this is not something I typically recommend most people do, but one side, the front of the business card will be the painting. The back will be my information. Why? Because that painting is my main focus of my booth. That specific right. painting is the, what is going to draw people in and how they're going to remember me. Normally, I would not say fill an entire side with that. I would say keep the back. Blank because mm-hmm. you want somewhere for people to take notes or write information about you down, whatever they need to do. If you're, you've had a discussion with people, maybe you gave them a quote on a painting, you want them to have somewhere to write that information Good down. Point. So Not I prefer that. keeping your backside of your card blank. Another quick tip cuz people always want to do this. This was popular and made sense back in the 80s, the 90s. Um people will say, "We'll print a, a calendar on the one side and people will keep the keep it in their Ew. their pocket so they have a calendar." Yeah, you know, we've all got smartphones now. We don't need a calendar yeah. on a business card. No one's keeping your business <clears throat> card cuz there's a calendar. You just wasted real estate that would have been better left blank for notes.
0: On one of my cards, I have a QR code and I also have some white space. You do want that, that is an excellent tip right there. And I want to highlight that. You do want to leave some white space. And I'll tell you why because most of the cards I ever collect, they go straight to the trash or they get washed in the laundry because they're in my pocket or something and I forgot about them. I'm less likely to visit, you know, a website if it's just a card that I've got and I'm more likely to lose that than if it's something I stumbled across on, you know, on the internet. Uh, so I make sure, you know, I've got a QR code on there because for me at least that's interesting. And I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll punch that up on my cell phone or something like that. Uh, and then, you know, I have a couple of different cards. There is a show that I've been involved in for several years and I did it again this past year in 2018 time of this recording is 2019 and what happens with this particular show? And it's in Milford, which is really, really close to my uh, city that I live in, and a suburb of Cincinnati. And this show is one of those outdoor shows. Every time I do the show, and I don't do it every year. Every time I do it, though, I always say, "Oh, it's the last year I'm doing that show." You know, <laughs> there's some good things about it, and there's some things I really like. But like we talked about earlier, it's a ton of work. But my point about talking about this is. Oh, and it rained, Lisa, last year when I did it. Um, Yeah, it was really, really good foot traffic up until around noon or something like that. And it started raining. It was just dead. Nobody after that but i printed up separate cards to go with me there because i was pushing my commissions that's really the the main call to action that i had at that show i was showing examples of portraits and then i was pushing for commissions i did sell some prints that i had available there but you know mostly i was wanting to you know get some exposure for you know portraits and so it was good for that but it did rain, and after I was done, I was like, I don't think I'm going to do that again because it's just such a disappointing thing when that happens.
1: Now, if you're a portrait artist and you are trying to get – that's your point at these shows, not really selling original work but trying to get the commissions, one of the best things you can do is exchange information, whether it be email, whatever, right. with that Yeah, you that develop person.
0: relationships. Yeah, yeah and, and that's, that's what your you're there goal. Goal. You're going
1: to stand there, and you're going to yeah. talk to that person. You're going to get to know them, and you don't want to be pushy, obviously, but if you have the opportunity to be like, hey, give me your information, and I will – email you my price list. It gives you a way to follow up with them. And you are so much more likely to get that commission than you are just handing them a card. Even if like you could have a card with your price list on it, you're not going to get that commission as likely as if you hand them a card without the price list and say, hey, if you give me, you know, let me, let me get your email and I will email you. I will get back to you with the, I'll send you a list of the price list and some samples or whatever. That, going- that's a- Sorry,
0: <laughs> no. Go just, ahead. Sorry, about both of us are
1: too excited today. <laughs> yeah.
0: um,
1: but no, you're you're more likely to hit that get that job then.
0: Yeah, th- no, that's a great point, and and that's essentially what I've done uh, the few years that I've been involved in it, uh, and this past year is no exception. It's creepy if at first you come up, you know, people come up there and they say. Hey, what's your booth about? You know, I want you to hire me to do a commission of you. You know, I want to draw your face. You know, that's pretty creepy. But if you say, oh, here's some of the work I've done. Here's examples, you know, of portraits I've done. And and they start looking around and, and then they're interested in what you're doing. They say, oh, what medium do you use? Or what kind of paper is this on? You know, start asking questions. You develop a little bit of a rapport with them. You have some common ground that you're going to talk about. And then finally, they may ask, Do you only do, you know, young people or do you do older people or, you know, and say, oh, here's an example over here of an older person that I've done. And then it opens the door to talking about other things. And then finally, yes, then you ask, what's your name? My name's John, you know, and you engage and you get a conversation going. And then Lisa, you're absolutely right about, you know, if you just give them the information, they're gone. Bye bye. You'll never hear them from them again. You'll never see them more than likely. But if you do get their name and their email address, that's the biggest uh, thing that, that you really want. That's the one thing that will help close the sale after the show is getting their email address. You have a point of contact and a way to follow up. Even a phone number sometimes still does work, though. But, yeah, if you're just handing out the information, you hand out a price list and you hand out your card and everything about the steps involved, it's over. and. They're not likely to ever contact you.
1: So here are some of the things I learned for trying to make, you know, actually make the sales um, for original artwork or prints or postcards at shows. When postcards sell so well for me, I'm going to be selling mine for $3 a piece or two for $5. And you think for a postcard, people pay it. Um, I mean, back 20 years ago, they were paying $2, so now, you know, prices have gone up on everything. I'll do $3 a postcard or or the two for five. People will pay that. How many postcards do you want to bring or how many prints? At least I would say three to five different options for people. um, That gives them a good good amount, and you're hopefully going to get people to buy several. So do the deal of two for $5 or, you know, whatever price set you're going to do. But more people will spend that than they will a $20, a $50, a larger print or something like that. So postcards are huge. I get mine printed at Vista Print. I'm not associated with them at all, but are affiliated with them. But I've just had good luck for the most part. Occasionally, something will get printed super dark. I just contact them and have them reprint it. And it's not a problem. The next thing that I want to bring with me, obviously business cards, we've gone over that, and I want to make sure my business cards are right for that show and who my target is. I'm going to get a postcard rack. Now, this is something new for me. I previously would have all of my cards in one of those CD type cases, those long boxes, and people would flip through them. Uh Hey, I'd rather have something that it's open for them to see, and things have gotten so much less expensive to have as your display than they used to be 20 years ago. So you can get for me. I'm going to do a rack, uh, the, the one of those spinning racks for the postcards. Here's the thing: I'm going to get one that only has the postcards on the upper half. I do not want them going all the way to the floor. Now, this show shouldn't be a problem. There should not be dogs walking around. But if you're at an outdoor show, you're going to have. Kids with their sticky fingers wanting to touch things because parents don't watch their kids. And you're going to have dogs that walk by. Even if it's a show that doesn't allow dogs, people bring their dogs anyway because the ones who don't follow directions are the same ones who don't pay attention to their dogs are lifting their leg on everything. I want to make sure my cards are up higher so that the little, little children or the dogs, you know, aren't destroying half my stock. Keep stuff up higher. You may also want postcards up on a table, um, on a, a table type rack. But make sure that you don't have artwork or a product that goes all the way to the floor. Because trust me, those things happen, especially on outdoor. Indoor, you'll still get the kids with the sticky fingers. But outdoors, those are are definitely common things to have happen. If you want to include your life story on something, like I said, you can't. You don't want to do that on your business card. You can have brochures printed. Again, fairly inexpensive, and about the artist information. And I really like not brochures; they're more um, rack cards, I believe, is what they're called. They're long, thin, same kind of material as a postcard. So you've got front and back. Those I've are great for putting a bit of information about you if you think that's going to be interesting to people if they want to hear more about you or whatever. If you want to get the, you know. Y- That's a better fit than a postcard for that information. Banners are another thing that I'm going to have printed. And what I will likely do is a small card table or one of them, not a six foot long table, but still the long thin kind of table. Um, I'm going to put a cover over that and then a, that's washable. Again, dogs with lifting the legs is a very common thing. And then a banner on the front. Those banners, again, like Vista print is where I've typically had them printed. They're not the most high quality. It's not like poster quality. But it's fairly inexpensive to have something with your artist name and maybe your website or a sample of your work. Something that gets people from a distance. You want people from a distance to see you and come up to your booth. And those banners can be a really good way to do that. You want to make sure, of course, bright colors, if at all possible. Something that's going to be visual. Well, you've got to think of the show, though. Some shows you may not want bright. So, you know, you've got to consider where the show is for. Um, Those are going to be things that I really focus on. And for me, I used to bring every painting that I had ever done or had available, I would bring with me to these shows. And I was damaging a lot of paintings that they're not going to sell. And it's so much work to drag all that stuff down there. So for this show, what I've learned, I'm bringing the two paintings that I think will get the most attention. My lion, uh, again, the, the ocean themed stuff. So the lion with the coral and fish and then a octopus with that's got a basically an aquarium. Hey, either way, they're both, these are specifically for this show, I think will really get attention. And then maybe a handful of small, um, maybe no bigger than 10 inch pieces. I'm not going to drag down a bunch of framed artwork. I'm not going to risk my artwork for something like that when there's no way anyone's going to pay. I mean, that lion painting I'd probably sell for $3,000. No one's going to pay that at an event like this. So I'm going to have posters, though. That's the next thing. Posters and prints. That's where you can really make a decent amount of money. And especially in this case, they see that original painting of that lion with the coral and the fish. They're going to want to print. And I can sell that right then and there. So without damaging a whole bunch of paintings that wouldn't have otherwise sold. What do you think you're going to sell the most of? That's what you want to bring. And in my case, from my experience, it's prints and postcards. So I don't want to drag down. And it makes it so much easier on me. I'm not having to take a million paintings with me.
0: Yeah, I think those are all real important things to keep in mind. And the other thing about it is when you're deciding what to bring, when you're thinking about a card holder, when you're thinking about having bags or some kind of sleeve to put the prints down into to make it nice and have a a nice professional finish to the actual transaction of the sale – Think of consistent branding and make sure everything is a consistent color scheme. Something along with your brand. Make sure that the, you're crafting an experience for your target market for the customer that uh, that you're wanting to, uh, you know, develop a relationship with. So think about all of those things when you're doing this. Make sure that everything is consistent. Uh, the look and the feel. Of your booth should be something that is nice and engaging. Remember to smile. Remember to look people in the eye uh, and to talk to people, not about your artwork. Talk talk to them about how their day is going or something like that to get them engaged and maybe come over. Um, You know, don't run after them or anything like that. But just be you know a normal, engaging person, and those things go a long way. And if it's first time that you're ever doing a show, then you might feel awkward about some of that, and that's the reason why I'm bringing it up. Yeah,
1: and try to talk to them. I mean, like in this case with this show, I'm not going to randomly, oh, how's your day going? How's the weather? Can you be a little bit more specific? How in this case we're it's a fish show. Oh, what kind of fish do you keep? Fresh or yeah. saltwater? What size is your tank? What kind of coral do you you know you, you what type of light system do you do? This is why it's important, I think, to get involved in something that you're familiar with because yes. it's going to make it easier know for you the- to open up that discussion because you know what what they're interested in. You're interested in it too. So you can make that connection so much better than if I, like if I I love horses, I've ridden, I've never owned my own. I don't know nearly enough. Now I could go to a horse show, but I still don't know enough. I'm going to sound like an idiot if I try to bring up that sort of conversation much more so than, you know, Going to a dog show that I can that I can talk to you all day long. I used to work at an animal hospital. I'm you know, we can have our discussions and I used to show dogs. So that's a fit for me where, you know, birds. I know a lot about birds. Horses, not so much Um, cars. I would not have a clue. Yeah, I can draw cars and I could do them well. I don't know a whole lot about them. It's not going to make it easy for me to make that connection in that case.
0: Yeah, yeah, you want to find that common ground and the context of where you are uh, certainly has some clues for you there. Okay, so another thing is once you get all that set up and you have your booth just the way that you want it, Remember to take pictures. Just use your cell phone. You know, take pictures of it because if you're liking this and you want to do more shows, the next show may require that you have a booth set up picture that you submit uh, before they um, accept you. And yes, some are juried like that, and they're they're not going to just take anybody. Uh, so it's a good opportunity to take a picture of your booth setup.
1: Yeah. And make sure, too, when you are signing up for different shows, find out what the requirements are, because some want only canopies with white. Some will let you use the blue canopies. Some won't let you use canopies at all, but you can have some umbrellas within a certain size. You know, you've got to keep that in mind, too, as far as your cost. Do you have to buy new stuff? What what is going to be suitable? Some provide you with a table, some don't. So, you know, you've got to find all that information out beforehand.
0: Yeah, and some of them require, if if it's outdoors, they'll require often uh, for you to have some type of weighted uh, materials yeah. to be able to keep it down in case of wind. That kind of thing, yeah. All right, so hopefully these tips have been helpful and you can review back, you know, if you're going to a show. Just pull up this particular episode and listen to it, and that should serve you pretty well. If you would like to add to anything that we've discussed here, you can comment in the show notes over at sharpenedartist.com slash podcast. Reach out to us again, podcast at sharpenedartist.com. This is a weekly show, and we'll talk to you again next week.
1: Bye.